Welcome, health enthusiasts. You're tuned in to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio, your one-stop shop for all things health, wellness, and innovation. We're here to shake up the status quo in healthcare, making it sustainable, equitable, and oh-so-patient-centric. I'm Greg Masters, your co-host and executive producer, and I'm joined by the digital health aficionado himself, author, global thought leader, and might I add, in his executive capacity, steward servant, Gil Bash. Together, we're on a mission to bring you the people, the ideas, and the companies that are not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. On today's menu, we're presenting a special program on the NMP problem in medicine. NMP stands for the Not My Patient, Not My Problem culture endemic in medicine. So wide and deep, even the best of the best develop blind spots, while we, the patient, friend, or family member, often pay a very steep price. In my case, my son Anthony John Masters may be its latest victim. Albeit this happens many times a day, so who knows who may be suffering during this broadcast. So with no further delay, Gil, the mic is yours. Hello, everyone. This is a very special episode of Health on a Bash. This is Gil Bash, your host. I'm with our executive producer, Greg Masters. This will be an incredibly deep personal conversation between uh, Greg and myself. As many of you who follow us on social media know, Greg tragically has just lost his son, Anthony Masters, Tony, who was um, going to be soon married. Tony was a vibrant, handsome, free spirit who enjoyed life immensely. And while he was out and about, uh, suddenly was in a tragic accident, rushed to the hospital, to the trauma unit, Elmhurst Hospital, and subsequently, tragically, he died. With me, as I mentioned, is Greg Masters, his father. Greg is a population health, public health expert. He lives and breathes the work, obviously, professionally. He's passionate about it. He um, is also grieving right now, and I want to thank him for suggesting this special episode because all of us have feelings about this work. We're passionate about this work. We really have to remember that this work is all about people, ultimately. Every piece of it, population health, health innovation, diagnostics, information, it all comes down to improving people's lives. And um, Greg has willingly, with with commitment offered this conversation to all of you as his gift in commemoration to Anthony, to Tony's life. So we could learn from what happened, what went wrong, what went wrong. The title of this episode is NMP, not my patient, not my problem. And we're going to explore that as we often do the fragmented health ecosystem in the most personal way. Greg, thank you so much for not only being my friend and a mentor, the executive producer of this show, but today our very, very special guest. We mourn with you, my friend. We're thinking of you, every post, every picture about Tony and his life, his friends, 
his joy, his surfing, your surfing together with him. We know that this is a horrific loss that we can't even begin to put into words, can't even begin to express our sadness on your behalf. Would you start, please, with sharing with us what happened exactly to Tony? And 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 would you also share, you were at a, you were at a medical conference at the time. You got the call. You got the call. And you immediately were on a flight. You rushed to the hospital. What was waiting you there? So thank you, Gil. And I'm going to do my best to get through this because it's still very fresh. And uh, I'm just riding the waves of grief and anger and despair and hopelessness and confusion. It just comes back and forth and I can't fight it. So I'm just letting it wash over me and um i appreciate your willingness to do this it's uh, while it's fresh um because uh i intend to not let his passing um drift into the sunset without any uh enduring uh contribution to what we talk about uh, a lot in terms of patient-centric care and quality assurance and accountable care and making our health system function uh, more effectively with the patient at the center. So I became aware of Anthony's accident. He was riding a bicycle in Brooklyn, New York, coming home from uh, a restaurant bar. He's in the alcohol business. He's a, he's a crave director and and he markets a, a, a mezcal product so he's he's out in bars and restaurants a lot, cultivating relationships. It's a relationship business. So he probably had a few drinks, uh, as is his norm. And he was riding a bicycle home. Um, maybe how fast do you ride a bike? Five, six, seven, eight miles an hour. And he was veering left on a street. And unfortunately, I have unrelated dash cam footage of the incident because just... Uh, uh, out of nowhere, someone was just driving down the street with his dash cam on, and Anthony was in his full view, and you, you see him sort of veer left, and it's grainy film, but you can't really tell whether the pedestrian stepped in front of him or whether he veered into him. Either way, the pedestrian was not injured, but Anthony hit the cement. He was not wearing uh, a helmet, which doesn't surprise me. And um, the result of that was a uh, blunt trauma to the left side of his head which uh, was later um, um, confirmed as an epidural hematoma and as a result of that trauma the the brain pushed forward into his frontal lobes and uh, created a bilateral contusion brain bleed on the front end so he had a fractured skull he had a a contusion in the front and then an epidural uh, so he was scooped up. Apparently, the uh, um, I don't have the you know pre-hospitalization report from uh, EMS, but I believe the pedestrian he encountered on the street uh, called nine one one or someone there called nine one one. He was scooped up. He he was unconscious. He was scooped up by EMS, taken to um, Elmhurst Hospital Center, which is an operating unit of uh, New York City Health and Hospitals Corporation. It is a level one trauma center and a teaching affiliate of a world-class medical school known as Mount Sinai 
uh, medical school or Carl Icahn Mount Sinai Medical School. And um, they staff Elmhurst Hospital. They staff them with attending faculty, uh, fellows, residents throughout the PG years, including uh, first year interns, PAs and, and nursing staffs. So I, I felt, well, level one trauma center is in the right place. You know, we can trust that this is some, it means something. Level one trauma means that they are a trauma informed, trauma experienced. They're sort of a well-greased machine around team-based care. And as um, I've- From what I, I heard, Greg, and following your, your really tragic saga, Tony's tragic saga, day by day and sometimes moment by moment, it sounds like the- the, the rating of the center and what one hap- what happens afterward just didn't align. Correct. I, I'd like I'd like if you could help us understand this. Not only as the parent and you know the grieving parent, but also as someone who's really astute and understands hospital systems and has been in and out of hospitals professionally. Um, the, the the gap between the expectation and the execution. What what happened when Anthony got into the hospital? You arrived. What what did you see? What did you observe? And knowing, although you know we're not doctors on the show, but but we know the system. We know how the system should respond. What what did you observe that we should know about? Because everybody who listens to this show, thanks to your being the executive producer, understands that our mission is to improve health and to sustain and save people's lives. It sounds like the system may have failed here. And I'd like to understand from your perspective, what happened? So this is a somewhat complex uh, timeline to reconstruct, but the bookends are, you know, the incident and then the uh, triage to the ED, uh, the emergency department at the hospital, uh, level one trauma center. And I am told by a member of the care team that he was alert, he was responsive, he was conversational, um, he was engaging with them, which which means that whatever unconsciousness he had uh, after the um, uh, after the fall, apparently he he came back. So they apparently ordered a CT, and that's how they established uh, the diagnosis with the the contusion and the epidural uh, hematoma. <clears throat> So shortly thereafter, he was admitted to the uh, surgical trauma ICU. And um, I um, got this call uh, at 7 a.m. Sunday morning, June the 4th. And I was on a red eye that night uh, out to New York. And I showed up at the the ICU around 10 o'clock on Monday morning. And uh, I... um, I met with the chief of service, who is an attending faculty, uh, either a neurosurgeon or a neurotrauma intensivist. I don't know exactly. I think he might have been a neurosurgeon, but he was chief of service. And he proceeded to tell me, here's what's up. This is what we found. Your son is, uh, you know, has a head injury and there's no such thing as an unserious head injury, but we expect him to do fine. We expect him a six to seven day length of stay. There may be a rehab period of reconstructing memory and possibly speech therapy, but we didn't see any of that uh, because day one, um, when I arrived, he he was uh, uh, pretty medicated. 
Uh, he opened his eyes, looked at me, and then turned away. He didn't acknowledge me. And about uh, 30 minutes later or 15 minutes later, he opened his eyes again. We made eye contact, and then he reached his hand out to me. So I knew he recognized me. So I, I stayed by his bedside every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, 10 to 12 hours a day I was there for him. Each day he progressed was getting better. His personality was coming back. Um, he, um, um, he was, you know, a head injury patient has, is not a compliant patient. And by that, I mean, you know, he gets orders from the staff, uh, you know, you know, he's pulling out his IV, his head hurts, any, uh, attempt to put a band on it to, to run EEGs around him, he ripped off, you know, so he was medicated for anti-seizure, anti-swelling, and sedatives, phenobarbital. So that was the part of his daily routine. From one day to the next, he didn't recall what happened the prior day. So it would be like, hey, dad, when did you get here? Or, hey, dad, why are you here? Or, But during the day, fully engaging, had the nurses in stitches. He was, he was asking his fiance, Lauren, you know, come lie next to me, rub my feet, twiddle my, you know, twirl my hair, this kind of stuff. His personality was back and everything looked good. They released him from ICU into a step down telemetry monitored unit, but, uh, but not at the intense the acuity level for um, ICU standing or so he was progressing they, it wasn't a med surge floor. It was telemetry monitored, uh, monitored intermediate level of care. And everything went well until Friday. Friday is when things really started to go south. And I'll, I'll stop there. Just dropping in, you're right on time for Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. Today, we're chatting with co-host and executive producer of the broadcast, yours truly, Greg Masters. We're discussing the NMP, not my patient, not my problem, problem in medicine. What shifted, Greg? What shifted at that moment? You know, it sounds like, because we were in touch um, almost every few days during those first few days, exchanging texts and messages and you know, phone call, and um, you you felt confident at that time that that Anthony was on the right trajectory to healing. And then, as you said, I I went back online Saturday night, and and things were very different. What 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 was happening to him medically, but also it, it sounds like from our communication that. And I, by the way, I imagine that nurses were changing every day or every few days in the department. It was a different nurse or a different doctor, a different nurse, a different attending. Um, you were, you know, sort of like the advocate, sort of like they had read the file, but you were briefing them. Could you talk a little bit about, aside from Tony's situation, what your role was as an advocate working with the house staff? Because I think that's where the breakdown is, I notice in health systems. And we move nurses and doctors around. They they each one has to reread the EMR to get up to speed. And it's it's time to make the donuts on these patients. And if you don't have an active caregiver or a loving caregiver like yourself, that that patient can be in in general in hot water. In Tony's case, where he was, you know, it was in a very significant, serious situation. Thank God you were there. But what was your experience with the staff? I know they're well-intended. They want to do the best they can do, but they've got to work within the process of their system. Was was the system 
working for them? Was it working for you, for Tony? So really good question. And uh, my conclusion is no, it wasn't working. And um, yeah, I, I I might add that um, I had been writing a blog post about the NMP problem in medicine. I had come across a New England Journal of Medicine roundtable. It was a podcast, and they were discussing this very issue. So I decided to draft a post, you know, observations from the bedside, and I took a fairly academic perspective. I was describing it, you know, um, not naming names, talking about, you know, in Uh, I left it uh, kind of objective and almost third party. Little did I know that I was going to, uh, that I was on a freight train uh, hurtling towards the worst possible outcome of the NMP culture in medicine. And it simply is that um, I was there. I was the only one with anything close to a 360 perspective on him. Yes, there's shift changes, maybe two, maybe three, depending upon the staffing levels. But um, Trying to keep everyone informed um, apparently became one of our jobs, me and his fiance Lauren. And it shift changes. They had team huddles and briefings, routine part of, of all this stuff. But there really was nothing uh, concerning until Friday. And, and Friday played out as follows. I, 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 um, I showed up uh, I, exactly, I don't know, 10, 11 in the morning. And I noticed he was um, groggy much groggier than he had been. And uh, he looked at me and he says, dad, I'm high. We went like that. You know, I said, okay, uh uh-huh. Maybe they've upped his phenobarbital. Something's going on. Um, And then that day, Friday progressed where he just sort of drifted away, became listless, then unconscious, unable to unresponsive to commands to, you know, like pain. He just, could not wake up. And I said, okay, maybe he's being medicated, you know, because whatever, but, um, he continued the nursing staff observing this at all. Everything. He was fully monitored. All vitals were monitored. They were observing him coming in and out of the room. And, you know, it was primarily floor nursing that was taking care of him and interspersed with periodic visits by a PA who became the liaison to the neurotrauma, service um as far as i could tell there was no resident or certainly no faculty member no fellow but a pa was the intermediary was there a neurologist who was coming in or a neurologic surgeon or anyone who was really of that level of expertise to say you know something's now amiss here from what i'm reading this patient's not responding the way they were responding right this is the part of the story that gets ugly and painful, so you have to bear with me. So as he became literally unresponsive and unconscious, he was snoring very, very heavily. And I was thinking, oh, you know, byproduct of the medicine, maybe. Uh, and then when that turned into what I saw as respiratory distress, I became very alarmed. I started filming him. I started taking pictures of the vital signs. Everything was starting to crash. His normal blood pressure, his normal heart rates were in the athlete zone, 50 to 60 beats per minute, 120 over 55, 60 um, blood pressure routinely pre and post hospitalization. He was spiking at 250, 179. His oxygen saturation level was dropping to 79. And I, 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 I'm there filming and a resident walks in and I, I say, look, 
who are you? So I'm on the care team. I said, well, that doesn't tell me anything. What are your credentials? Are you a critical care intensivist? Are you a resident? What year are you? First, second, you know, third? Are you chief resident, senior resident? He says, I'm just here on the care team. So at that point, what I was observing and I was asking her about was he was belching for air by his diaphragm pushing up on his lungs. And even I, a layman, know that means he can't breathe. Either he doesn't have an airway or he's being obstructed by something and there's no oxygen that's getting absorbed into a system. So after that, I just I lost it because I did not feel that the kind of eyeballs that needed to be in the room were not in the room. I went to the nursing manager station, nursing station, and I asked to speak with the manager. It was the night shift. There was no manager on duty. A supervising nurse was was on duty. And I said, my son's in this room. I believe he's in in respiratory distress. I want you to call the on-call attending neurosurgeon or neurointensivist, get him or her in the room now, put eyes on him, and direct this care team because no one's taking any any action. No one's providing a direction to the care team. The first person she called was not on call. The second person she calls identified as being on call. It was a neurosurgeon. That person said, it's 10 o'clock. I'm not on site. Doesn't sound like a neurosurgical event to me. And that was technically the end of the conversation. I I overheard everything. So I was defeated at that point. I went back and he was crashing worse and it only got uh, worse from there. And this period of the timeline I'm trying to reconstruct is between somewhere around 10 o'clock to 4 a.m. And it only got worse and worse and worse. And when the code team or the rapid response team, quote unquote, finally arrived and it was anything but rapid, apparently there was four teams that responded to this call It wasn't coordinated. No one seemed to be in charge. At one point, there were 10, 11, possibly 12 people in his room, two with hands on, the nurses, everyone else standing around, until the code team with an anesthesiologist to intubate him, and I believe an internist on the medical service, there was no one there from neurotrauma. So, so Greg, I want to recap a little bit. This This is sadly a story that should be um, a major magazine article or a book, but but we're talking about one hand not really knowing what the other hand is doing and the patient almost not being part of the focus at all. You know, it's you know, my it's my dinner plans or you know this poor nurse who sees this deteriorating before her eyes and is trying to reach someone to come in of expertise. Um, this is truly the 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 um, NMP, the not not my patient and not my problem. The there's a lot to learn here. There's a lot to learn here through this horrible. Thing it, it, can I speak to that, Gil? I, and let me speak to the NMP piece. And here's how I see it: NMP is you know not my patient, therefore not my problem. And the not my patient is well, is he or she on my service? Is he or she within the scope of my professional capabilities? In which case, if I say no, then all of a sudden, it's not my patient. And then if it's not my patient, it's not my problem. So they drift away. And I love our clinicians. I'm 100% backing them. They are heroes. But we have a ways to go in creating a seamless process of interdisciplinary engagement in a care team 
that has a holistic view of the patient. It can't simply be narrow cast views. If it's not in that field of vision, it's not my problem. That's the way they all acted. So yeah, fresh from, it's a culture issue endemic in medicine, and it's uniquely uh, uh, prevalent in academic medical centers and especially their teaching hospital affiliates. Okay. We've had a lot of lot of great friends on this program since it uh, began to air on Healthcare Now Radio. And uh, those are the people, of course, are not only heroes, but role models. You know, I think the people like Rasu and others who have, have been with us, John White, Dr. John White of WebMD, who are the antithesis of this story, who who you know, embrace every patient as their own and every problem as their own. Um, this is a this is a case that I think, unfortunately, is to your point, is is become standard operating procedure in many institutions. Greg, I, I want to thank you for for enabling us to to talk about Tony and your pain and what happened as as a lesson. First of all, there's a lot to be learned here. I hope that everybody in the hospital system listens to this story and and says, how do we cha- change our procedures, our teaching modules? to get people ready and working differently. I hope every caregiver understands that they are on the front lines of care. They need to be observant. They need to be asking. A lot of people say or say to me, don't be pushy. Don't upset the house staff. I sense from your story, when you're an advocate, the health professionals are your allies, but they're not your friends. You need to be prepared to advocate for the people you care about, the people you love. And if you don't, tragedy, tragedy awaits. In Tony's memory, we are thinking of him. We're thinking of you, his fiance, all of your family members, um, his brother, Brendan. We're thinking of everybody right now. Our heart goes out to you, Greg. We thank you for sharing this. I hope that our listeners write to you and share their support for this effort to make this right. Thank you, Greg, for being with us today. Always. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Gil. And I'll simply say, if you want to follow this event, I'm blogging at healthinnovationmedia.com. And I'm participating on Twitter at Greg Masters, and that's Greg with two Gs, MPH. And I'm tagging every tweet, hash Team Tony, hash NMMP, NMP, and hash NMP. My intention is to start a foundation in his name, to address this culture in medicine so that no one else has to be in the seat that I was in for those 72 horrible, horrible hours. So thank you very much, Gil. And that, dear listeners, is the last note for today's somber melody. A huge thanks for tuning into this special program on the NMP, Not My Patient, Not My Problem, Problem in Medicine. To keep tabs on this developing story and to put an end to the NMP problem in medicine, follow developments at www.healthinnovationmedia.com or join the Twitterverse following me via at GregMastersMPH, and that's Greg with two Gs, and hashtags, hash Team Tony, hash end NMP, and hash NMP. For more of our health unabashed conversations, swing by our program page at healthcanalradio.com. 
We're live weekdays at 10.30 a.m., 6.30 p.m., and 2.30 a.m. Eastern, or 7.30 a.m., 3.30 p.m., and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Stay social with Gil and me on Twitter via Gil underscore Bash, and that's B-A-S-H-E, and Greg Masters MPH, and that's Greg Masters with two Gs. Don't forget to give your tweets some zing with our hashtag, HealthAndAbashed. Until we meet again, pursue your passion for better health and no apologies. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.